Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. How yes. about for that pizzazz? Yeah, a little fire there, a little zeal, a little oh, passion. Happy. Sometimes you just say, we're back. That's like usually how I do it. Just thought about mixing it up. I'll Got be my coffee back. in me. It's like a little Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, you get some coffee in you. A little caffeine that sets your soul on fire. A few good hours before I hit my afternoon crash. You crash. I live life to the fullest. Well, let's get this thing. Let's <laughs> hit it. Let's go. Fire it up. <laughs> I don't have a pun. I don't have one. I don't have even have any banter. With a name like Thomas Aquinas, 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 I, 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 there is no pun. I, it's just, it's a bad name. Yeah, I mean Aquinas. He was from the Aquino region of Italy, so it's not technically his last name or anything. It's not like a surname. So you would be Evan Anderson. Yeah, Evan from Anderson. Evan of Anderson. Evan of Anderson. I think we should bring that back. Let's just ditch the last names. Now we wouldn't. We wouldn't know who anybody is. No, because everybody there'd be like f- four million Johns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Anderson County has nearly two hundred thousand people in it, so yeah. we'll, we'll all be last name Andersons. Is that what it is? Yeah. Or just of Anderson. Of Anderson. Of course, if you were from your town, so you would be Evan of Honeyapath. What? If you were like from uh, from Honey, like, what are you no. About? If you were from Honeyapath, got you. You would be Evan Honeyapath. Mm. I think I would rather have Sistar. Yeah, same. Townville, Evan Just of doesn't Townville. Have the right ring to it. Yeah, it, 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 uh, <laughs> the right ring to it. <laughs> All right, we're gonna just, <laughs> you just keep trying. It's fine. We're just gonna get into it. Go for it. Today we. I'm not very happy the way I'm not happy the way this conversation is <laughs> going. How about that pun? I feel like our listeners aren't happy at the amount of time we list we like waste. They're like driving down the road, risking their lives to spam the thirty second ahead. Button. I don't think so. I think they're like just in, hanging on the edge. Like, what are they gonna say today? What are they gonna What are they gonna do today? There's no telling what they're gonna do today. So. Oh man. Well, today we are asking the final question, um, really what is happiness and what makes us happy? So today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of give a summary of our whole argument um, up to this point, the last three episodes, and then we're going to finally give you an answer. So if you've kept up with the last three episodes, we've asked, hey, what is happiness? Um, and we've asked, what are things that we try to make us happy? So fame, honor, glory, pleasure, money, things. And we've all kind of broken them down how they haven't made us happy. And today we're going to answer uh, that simple question, what can make us happy? Spoiler alert, the answer is God and God alone. But you already knew that. But let's give you like a quick review of what we talked about in our first episode. And then we're going to go ahead and, and – um dive into how God can make us happy. So in our first episode, we spent a long while talking about um, how every human being, we're always making decisions. And every decision that we make, even from the smallest decision, it has a certain end goal in mind. So I use the example of, uh, I may make the decision to get up out of my seat. The end goal in mind is to satisfy my thirst. Now, I got to make a whole bunch of decisions in between them to take 15 steps, open up the refrigerator door, grab the Diet Dr. Pepper, open the top, 
drink it, and satisfy my thirst. But I had one decision with the end goal in mind of satisfying my thirst with a whole bunch of things in between. In the same way, human beings, with every first decision they make, they always have their happiness as the end goal. They always have their satisfaction as the end goal. Human beings are never making decisions for the pure end goal to only hurt themselves, damage themselves, or something terrible like that. Human beings are always looking out for the very good. That's what we're doing in every single decision. So, uh, you know, even bad things that we do are done with good intentions. So nobody uh, takes the first sip of alcohol because they want to become an alcoholic. They take it for the end of maybe having pleasure or having a good time, and then it can morph into something terrible. Or somebody who commits suicide, they're not doing it just to hurt themselves, but they're doing it to alleviate some kind of pain or despair or something like that doesn't make it a good decision, but they're doing it with a good with the intention of what they believe is the best for them. So human beings are always making decisions for their very, very best, for their very good. But the problem that comes in with humanity is that because of our sinful nature, the decisions we make and the things that we seek out to make us happy can actually satisfy us and can actually make us happy. And so we've been talking about, uh, you know, how fame, honor, and glory, we think that can make us happy. Approval from other people, but it can't do it. We think that uh, pleasure can make us happy, making us feel good, but it can't do it. We think that money and things can make us happy, but none of those things can ever actually do it. And so Boethius, the philosopher, says anyone that chooses to look back on his past excesses will perceive that pleasures had a sad ending. And if they can render a man happy, there's no reason why we should not say that the very beasts are happy too. Because the truth is that everything that we seek in this life, fame, honor, glory, money, pleasure, it's, uh, it's all ticking down. It does, it's not eternal. It can't actually do it. We're all left needing more. It's all imperfect. It can never last, it can never satisfy us. We always need more pleasure or more money or more recognition or more whatever it is. It just can't do it for us. So as human beings, if every decision we make is to make us happy, but we keep looking in all the wrong directions, finally, who do we turn to? What do we turn to to ultimately make us happy? What will give us our ultimate good, our ultimate satisfaction of all of our desires? Well, we know that answer to be God. Like the Sunday school answer of that is Jesus. Pretty straightforward. Yep. So we think about it like this. Where in the world do we find our ultimate good and our perfect satisfaction? Satisfaction that doesn't run out like money or doesn't run out like pleasure. Something that's our ultimate good. Pleasure can turn on us. Money can be for our bad. All of these things. What can never go wrong and never runs out? That gives us that eternal satisfaction and eternal good. So as eternal creatures who must receive satisfaction, not only in our bodies, but in our souls, God is the only one who can satisfy us eternally and infinitely. Our souls will never die. Now, our bodies will die. Now, we know that we'll resurrect again. But our souls keep on living forever by God's power and will. And so they need not a temporary satisfaction, but an eternal satisfaction and happiness. And God's the only one who can do that. 
Man, we need something that's good, something that isn't going to harm us or destroy us. God is the perfect good. He's the definition of good. He is that good in which all other finger quotes goods participate in. So for instance, had God not created food and said that it was good, it could not be good. Anything good in this life is good because God made it and declared, this is good for you. And so he is the source, the originator of all good things in this life. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. That's right. Yeah. And so we seek God who is the perfect good, the definition of good, um, the, the, the only one who is uh, perfect in every way. So the only way for our souls, the deepest part of us to be satisfied is by something so much greater and so much higher than this world. We know that the things of this world run out. We know that they're temporary. We know that all the things of this world have been subjected under our feet. They were made for us, not us for them. We're above all the purely physical things. You know, Adam and Eve, they were called to steward and rule over the created things, not to be ruled by them. We are searching for something greater. So listen to this, Colossians 1, uh, verse 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. We don't want to seek the things, but we want to seek the creator of all things. We don't want to just seek uh, what is temporary, but the one in whom all things consist, in which everything was created through him and for him. We are searching for someone greater and higher. John 6, 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is giving us this picture of someone who is satisfied. So we all know what it means to be thirsty and hungry, that like natural desire, I'm about to die, I've got to have something to eat. Maybe you're feeling it right now as you're dreaming of the smoking pig and whatever you're about to eat in just a few moments. And you're like, I've got to satisfy this. We experience that in like a really temporary earthly sense. But Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger or thirst in in the most true sense of that. Not just a bodily sense, not just what your stomach is telling you, but body and soul for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. Like, Like bread... Jesus isn't like bread. Bread is like Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus isn't like water. Water is like Jesus. Jesus is the true one who truly fills us up, who truly satisfies us. And bread and water just participate in that satisfaction in like a tiny little sense when it fills up our stomach and satisfies our thirst. But Jesus is, the, is what it really and truly means to be satisfied as a human. Got anything on that? I feel like I've just been yapping. Nah, go with it. You're in a flow. Um, John chapter four, verse 13 through 14, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's speaking to the sinful woman at a well. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
And so once again, Jesus is promising his spirit. He's promising satisfaction. He's promising that all of those desires to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to be content, to have our perfect good, to have all our needs met, everywhere that we're seeking that in pleasure, in money, in materials, in people, in fame, in glory, all of that that we seek in this world, it can be found in him and in him forever. That we don't have to go to the things of this world, but we can go to the creator of the world. We don't have to go to an earthly satisfaction but an eternal and spiritual satisfaction um, that just as water satisfies our bodies, he has come to satisfy us body and soul forever. So we go to the source. And then finally, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's good, isn't it? I like that. Yeah. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I think what Lewis is getting at is that we have this constant need to be satisfied, this constant desire for nothing more. And no matter what we turn to in this world, like we listed in the last few episodes, that desire is never satisfied. And he's saying, if that's true, then Nothing in this world can satisfy us. We were made for another world. And really, he's saying that we were made for God. And, you know, the Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God. We were created in perfect union and communion with God, that we were made for something more, but now we have fallen short, and Christ has come to pull us up and and return us to that relationship and that image and that satisfaction in who he is alone, that we when, when we sinned, we died, and we lost the life of God, and he has come to return it and, and sow it into our souls again. Yeah, it made me think of Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. That's good. And 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 so I think that's there where it helps us to know that that and Job said if a man dies, will he live again? You know, you're you're not just made to live on this world and in this life alone. Mm-hmm. There is a life after just where you're gonna spend it. That's right. And so we are created for more than just this world. Mm-hmm. And to to think that this is the the do all be all end all, um, you, you really got it all out of whack. That if if you think the happiest you'll ever be is living down here, man, you you're you've got it all wrong. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have moments of happiness, but the bliss and joy that awaits us in glorification, you can't even fathom it. You know, but that's then. This is now, and you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to know that satisfaction, contentment. That's the great thing about serving Jesus and being saved, being born again, as you just said, and being regenerated and transformed. Uh, your mind is renewed. the The way you look at everything is renewed. Your value system is renewed. Mm-hmm. It's changed to, to God's value system. And once you have God's value system, which differs greatly from the world's value system, mm-hmm. people who are worldly. They value worldly things and money and and possessions and fame and popularity and power. Uh, I mean, again, they'll not make you happy. Yeah, I've seen like I think we talked about this in the last podcast. I've seen some of the most powerful men in the world, the richest men in the world, they were miserable. Yeah, just absolutely miserable because those things do not have innately 
the ability to give you true satisfaction. They were never we and and I I kind of mentioned this real quick. I know I went through a lot of the verses, but like the stuff that we experienced was never made to satisfy us. It was just meant to be a means of living out who God has created us to be. That we were made in the image of God and the materials of the world were for us to use, for us to take dominion of, for us to use and work out for his glory, to reflect his his image, to reflect his character. That, you know, Thomas is this whole thing is built on this idea that humanity was made for a certain end. It was made for a certain purpose. So humanity was made in the image of God to reflect God. And so all the material world was seen as a means for for us to kind of flesh out and live out what it means to be as people made in the image of God. Exactly. But if if that image is marred by sin, if it's shattered by sin, then now when I approach the world, I don't approach the world as someone who is reflecting this um, perfect kind of complete whole image of God, but now that image is shattered and my relationship to everything else is broken too. And I think that's why Paul in Romans chapter one talks about sinners. We exchanged, um, we exchanged the creator for the creature <laughs> that we have, we've, our desires were initially for God, the one who walked with Adam in the cool of the evening, the one in whose image we were created, the one that we wanted to be like. Well, since that image has been shattered, our eyes went from heaven to earth, and and our desires have turned in on ourselves from creator to creature. And so now the thing that um, we were to rule over begins to rule over us, and we, we think that it's meant to satisfy us. When creation is not to be worshipped in itself, but we know from Paul, it actually reveals the Creator that God and His, you know, His eternal power is actually revealed through creation. So it's not an uh, an end in itself, but a means to an end to eternal union and communion with God, who is revealed through those things. And it's a means for us not to worship stuff, but to flesh out the very image and life of God that's renewed in us, to not be ruled by it, but to rule it with the authority of our heavenly King. But we have to have his life and his image and his purpose renewed in us before we can get back to that. That's really good. That's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the simple truth is that we were made for God. Um, so now we have to really just get practical, that if, if Jesus has promised us that he's come to satisfy us, he's come to be bread, he's come to be, um, you know, to, to satisfy our thirst, he's come to send the spirit to be living water, that he's the creator of all things, that he's come to renew us in, in the image of our creator every single day, that he's come to give us life and life eternal. There's all kinds of analogies, you know, for these things. Now we just have to ask this simple question. If God's the one who satisfies us, how do we know God? Where do we go to get him? And this is just really, really practical. Um, knowledge of God, we go get him because, you know, uh, theology matters is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm getting caught up here. So think about this, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so eternal life, how do we get this to eternal life? 
We have to know God. We have to know who God is. We need, we need to know how he's revealed himself. Uh, Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And so if knowing God is eternal life, and then if we seek God diligently, we will find him. Then when we diligently seek him, we diligently find that eternal life. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. And so first we must we must acknowledge God is the only one who can satisfy us. And how do we get to him? We have to know him. We have to know how he's revealed himself. The knowledge is a good thing. It leads to eternal life, that this is our boast. We need to go where God has revealed himself and receive him in faith. Yeah, and that's why you want to have a relationship with him. Yep. And that's why God is relational. God is personal. You see this in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve, and it's Enoch walked with God. One day he wasn't. For God took him. Uh, he walked with Elijah and Samuel, and then he walked with us when he came to this earth as a babe and walked among men and then sent the Holy Spirit so that when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes inside of you and he walks with you. Mm-hmm. He said, I will be their God and they shall be my people and I will dwell in them and walk among them, says the Lord. So God is very relational, very personal, and it is in that relationship with him that you find true happiness. I love the fact that um, John seventeen three says this is eternal life. It, it, it described it mm-hmm. that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Eternal life is not living forever. That's part of it, but that's not what it says. It says eternal. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is that gift? The gift is that I get to know God. Mm. in a personal, intimate way, and he knows me. And we're in this, and that word know is the word like a husband and a wife know each other, is experiential. Intimacy. Tremendous intimacy, and it's experientially. So it has to be more than ethereal. It Mm -hmm. has to be experiential. So if it's religious and it's ethereal and it's it's all external, you're you're not there yet. Mm -hmm. It's when Christ comes in your heart, forgives you of your sins, and he dwells inside of you and you have you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior and by grace you're saved through faith, now you're walking and living in relationship with him. The, and, the, I'm sorry. Keep no, going. and I just say that's the heartbeat of God. I think you're right. I think it's like we are called to be caught up in like direct relationship with the triune God. What I mean is like we are, we are called to participate in, in this eternal relationship that the Trinity has always been father, son, and Holy spirit. The, the, the father has always been the father of the son. The son has always been the son of the father and the, the Holy spirit has always, you know, proceeded from the father and the son in relationship to them. And our benefit as Christians is we get to be caught up in, in that divine relation. And that now when I'm a Christian by the Holy spirit, I become in union 
with the Son, Jesus Christ, adopted into the family, and now God the Father becomes my Father. And so now the reality from all eternity of the Father loving the Son, uh, you know, maybe you can say by the Spirit, Augustine calls the Holy Spirit the love between the Father and the Son. I am caught up in that eternal relationship and that now I as a human being through the agency of the spirit am in union with the son and in relationship with the father as they've been for all eternity. Am I making any sense? Absolutely. Caught up in this triune life. What a privilege. That's, that is what satisfies us is being joined into this incredibly eternal relationship of who God has been, I get to do that not by means of becoming God, but as means of being adopted as a son or daughter of God made in his image yeah, the and image, joining that life. Yeah, and the image is restored. Yes. The, the image was shattered when sin came, like a mirror shattered. But God put the pieces back together mm-hmm. and com- and made the, the mirror back again. And it's like a prism where we uh, uh, shine reflect Christ mm-hmm. that's in us and it comes out in these qualities, the fruit of the spirit. But but we're saying all that to say, I don't care what relationship you have in this world. I, you may have the best husband and wife. You have a great relationship with your kids or your grandma or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or a best friend in the world and you're happy with them. Mm-hmm. But there are going to be moments when you're going to be unhappy with them. But And they can leave you. They can move. They can die the, the, you can break up with your boyfriend, whatever, you get a divorce. The thing is about God is the perfect happiness comes from just talking with him, communing with him, fellowship with him. That's when you are content mm-hmm. and fulfilled and truly happy. And really yeah. beyond that, there's joy. There's joy in his presence. There's fullness of joy at his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Makes you think of this really, really famous quote by um, by uh, St. Augustine, And he says, um, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Yeah. That God has made us for himself. That's the whole point, just for himself. That, and I think that's, I don't know if we've done a good enough job of emphasizing that as preachers and, and teachers in the church, when, when you because what is the Westminster Catechism? The chief end of God is to glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy like, Him forever. And enjoy Him forever. So I, I think you know that's the very first line of the Westminster Catechism. We don't do catechisms, but but maybe we've gotten away from something where we just need to be able to say your number one purpose in this life is to have a relationship with God, and 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 maybe number one person is to be like God. Because those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, so that you, so there's a restoration of that image. So I think that may be that number one. number two, or with one A, one B. I was about to say you can't really separate, <laughs> separate them. One A, one B is, and that happens by having a relationship with him, mm-hmm. and and so as you relate with him and let him work in you, then you become less like you and more like him. And Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life! And so. That happens as you be like you ever you ever met married couples that they can finish finish each other's sentences. Yeah, they've been married so long and uh-huh. they start looking like each other and they think like each other and that's kind of in a human sense what you want to be with God is you want to 
to be so close with the Lord every day that you're just more and more like him and mm-hmm. you think like he thinks and so you make decisions like he would make and you react like he would react and you would you would treat people the way he would treat people. And that comes out of that relationship with him. And then when you're doing that, the, the more you're like him, then the more joyful you are, the more content you are, the more happy you are because he is perfection. And, yeah. and we'll never be perfect like him, you know. I mean, maybe in glorification, there'll be some kind of a state of perfection. Whatever per, whatever perfection we can reach, we obviously won't be omnipotent and omniscient. Well, right. I think man, perfection in the Bible really means completion. Yeah. So there may be Maturity. What's, what's fractured now and was incomplete in us in, in glorification and the consummation of our salvation, there'll be some completeness. But even then, when I'm in a glorified body, and I don't have any more sickness or death or you know, no more crying, nothing nothing to make me unhappy. The reality is it isn't my state of existence that makes me like that. That state of existence of glorification, it's exactly that. I am I am glory is is a reflection. Glory is what you reveal. My glory is not my own. It's mm-hmm. his. Because there everyone's going to live forever. The glory isn't living in forever. It's living forever in eternity because there will be a lot of people in hell. With Jesus. Yeah. That's it, is being with him, that where he is, that, you know, the lamb, the lamb is the light of the city and, and the, the city of God. It's the city mm-hmm. of God and being in the Father's house and it's just being where he is. You know, Dwight Thompson was, was a guy who was a real popular preacher years ago and he preached this message. It was kind of one of his signature messages that heaven will be heaven because Jesus will be there. Mm-hmm. And so he talked about all the people that are there, but he said, that's not what makes heaven heaven. And he talked about the streets of God. He said, but that's not what makes heaven heaven. He said, heaven will be heaven because Jesus will be there. And think about the level of like, just, I don't know if bliss is the right, the level of, of satisfaction and the quality of life we get to live as people who will be fully restored in the image of God in that day. Like, I think there's probably going to be animals in heaven. It's not even going to be in heaven. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I think God is fully going to recreate creation, including trees, animals, and whatever. And they're going to be perfect, right? They're not going to be hunted anymore. They're going to have sickness or death. The lion will lay down with the lamb, and everybody will be— It'll be perfect for them, but that perfection is relative. So their satisfaction of, like, base-level life of not being hunted or whatever— doesn't even compare where our purpose is not to just like eat grass in a field, not die and not feel pain. Our purpose is to reflect the image of God. Like I I can't even quantify the level of the quality of life and existence where I get to reflect in my image, the literal, like perfect eternal God, yeah. the originator of all creation. Yeah, the essence of God. Whatever that even means. I, I can't even put that into words. But like, th- that is the purpose of your life. Like, right. just think about that. That is what will satisfy you, is reflecting in some kind of crazy way the literal eternal God. That is your per. That is a high quality of life. And if you take it at its base level, okay, all day long you live for Jesus today. You do what's right. You do the right thing. You don't have to do anything spiritual or go preach on a street corner. I'm just saying you do your job. You you work your job. You're home with the kids. You, you eat dinner. You go to bed. But all day long you just live for the Lord. You keep sin out. You keep Jesus in. There is a contentment mm-hmm. and a peace that comes with that and a, and, a, and a kind of bliss and happiness is that I've just walked with the Lord all day today. If you mess up, you know, so you lose your happiness. Oh, yeah. 
you know, you have guilt and fear and shame and you lose your joy. You lose mm-hmm. the joy, what's called the joy of salvation, but you lose your head. You're not happy anymore. And, uh, and so if you'll notice when you're walking with Christ, there is this continual state of contentment and even happiness and bliss and joy mm-hmm. that comes. And then when you do something for him, or even if you suffer for him, you know, the Bible says that the disciples rejoiced yeah. that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. It, it's just a whole different level of seeing life. It's not about things and money and possessions and p- power and, you know, man, all that stuff people go for. There's usually a price to pay, mm-hmm. and it usually is a spiritual price. I agree. But yeah, I, I do think, um, I don't know, just like reflecting on this, it, it's just something we won't even be able to explain or describe till we see Jesus face-to-face. Oh, yeah. Like the plan and the satisfaction and the life that he has for us. Well, we know in part. Image bearers. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, no, Paul yeah, said, yeah, yeah. we know in part, then then we shall know. Then we will know face-to-face. But you know, he said right now, we see through a through, mm-hmm. see through a window dimly. Mm-hmm. It's like a blurred window. You can't really get all the details. But we just know, boy, it's gonna, it's going to be good mm-hmm. when we get there. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's knowing him. And, you know, I know you put some really practical things in our notes. And I think it's worth talking about that the fundamental, the ABCs is pray and read your Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a little mantra that I use here, read and pray and pray and read and read and pray and pray and read. And, and, and you got to do those two things. And it's very simple because prayer is how you talk to God and the Bible is how God talks to you. Yeah. Now, he can talk to your spirit and give you impressions and whatever. We, we believe that. Um, uh, some people just think the only way he can talk to you is through the Bible. But I don't believe that, especially as Pentecostals. We believe in the spirit-filled life. You can have visions and dreams, and there are other ways you got. But primarily— I was going to say, those are secondary. They always have secondary. to stand up to Scripture. They always have to stand up to Scripture. Those would be secondary. Primarily, yes. God speaks to us through the word. That's why you need to read your Bible every day. When you don't read your Bible, you're telling God, I don't need to hear from you. Yeah. I just don't want to hear from you to hear. And then you need to pray because you talk to the Lord. Well, that's how every relationship works is you listen to them, have a conversation, they talk to you. And, you know, I, I told people, I said, go, if, you, if you want to treat God, the, your wife, the way some people treat God, go home and don't talk to her except for mm-hmm. Sunday. Don't talk to her. Live in the same house with, her, with, house with her and don't say a word to her and say, I'll talk to you on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Yeah. And only then. See how good your marriage does. <laughs> I mean, it's just not going to work. And so that's why... You, if you have you have to just do those fundamental things, read and pray, just spend time. It doesn't have to be long; it could be fifteen minutes or whatever. I think the best thing to do is just walk with him through the day. Sometimes mm-hmm. you talk to pray him without at, ceasing. Yeah, if you and, will. yeah, and it's just talking to him at different points in the mm-hmm. day and saying thank you, Lord. Something good happens. Thank you, Father. And, and you got a situation, Lord? Can you help me right now with this? And then, um, but 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 I think that's sort of. You're fundamental. And so, something I love about the Bible is I don't think reading the Bible is, is a pure intellectual experience because the Bible says about the Bible, the, the the Word of God is living and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So when you approach the Bible, I'm being like a metaphorical here or whatever, but it, you're you're in a, almost approaching a living organism. It's living and effective. The Spirit is working through it. It's very spiritual. You're and not I, just engaging your brain, but your soul as well and it, the Spirit. I'll tell you something that is really cool to do. Try this. For our listeners, try that. The next time you read the Bible, open up just before you start reading, stop and say, Holy Spirit. So talk to God. Say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to just see things here? Will you, you wrote this book. Will you help me and just mm-hmm. speak to me? Show me things. Watch what happens. 
He's the spirit of truth. No, it's he his book. Holy yeah. men of old wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the Bible, is he's the author. Yes. And um, boy, you watch watch as you learn and, and as your life grows. Mm-hmm. So you you put some interesting things. How, how, how are other ways that we can know God? So the Bible, incredible, spiritual, awesome book. But the Bible also tells us that we have teachers for a reason, that the Bible is a book, but it has to be interpreted. And sometimes it's hard to understand, and God's gifted certain people. And so it's really helpful to go to resources of people who explain, teach, and apply the scriptures to your life. So listen to podcasts, which is a plain shameless plug for this one, but you're already here. So I don't have to really plug it, but do what you're doing right now. And even find some other biblically faithful ones. Listen to people who, um, you know, study the Bible that God has called and gifted to understand the Bible and receive uh, from them, from the church, go to church, listen to sermons. There's something powerful about the proclaimed word that, um, you know, how, you know, how will they believe unless, you know, they were sent, you know, that, that people are sent to preach the gospel, that um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that faith is stirred up and kindled by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word. That, and a shameless plug, shame, sh- shameless plug for church. Yeah. There, there's something about getting, like we're talking about knowing God. God, thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says. So when you get the people of God together as living stones, they be, they form a holy habitation, and then God comes into it. It's his house. You build a house, then God shows up. Yeah. And there's something about being at church, especially if it's a spirit-filled church, mm-hmm. where people are actually expecting the presence of God, not a church that they just go through the motions and they're just— don't even really think God's there. You know, you can have like spiritual encounters. Every, every Sunday at High Praises, people are having spiritual encounters with God. That's what we're talking about, knowing Him, mm-hmm. okay? And, and boy, you can have a lot of happy moments and joyful moments at church where you're singing and praising Him and feeling His touch, and He speaks to you, and you should leave the church feeling like you know him better. You know, Paul said you can leave saying of a surety God was in this place. Yeah, absolutely. The church is, you know, if we are the body of Christ, the church is where we um, become what we already are, that we assemble the body parts together. It's like a, you know, like we know the Power Rangers get together and they form the Megazord by their like different vehicles. That's what I think church is like but in like a way higher spiritual mystical sense. We're, we're power rangers. We're like forming the Megazord, but we come together and we become the body of Christ. And uh, it's powerful. Like you said, we we come as individual stones, but we form a temple in which God's spirit is there. And, um, you know, the, we, we show up and we become the body of Christ. We become the temple. We proclaim the word. And then in the beginning was the word, you know, and yep. the word was with God and the word was God that as we proclaim the word of God, we're proclaiming Christ. Um, it's living in effect. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's just, it's Christ-centered. Everything is Christ-centered in what we do. Um, you know, be careful on this, but you can go to YouTube, but be careful. There are some good things on the internet. There are some whack job, crazy folks out there. You always have to use discernment. And if you're ever like questionable, like, hey, this seems like a good account, but I'm not sure, please come talk to us. We will check it out and like let you know if that person is being a psychopath or not. Um, because there are some good things on the internet, but there's some bad things. Um, don't be afraid to deep dive. Ask hard questions. Learn more about God on your own. There's nothing wrong with asking difficult questions. If you've got you know theology questions or something that you've been mulling on, like deal with it. Ask that question and 
the spirit of truth will enlighten your heart. He's going to help you. Your older brother does this to us all the time. Oh, it's awesome. So, so my oldest son, Evan's older brother, he's not a preacher, uh, but it, it's just all the time he'll just throw out these hard questions. Why is this this? You know, why is this this way? Why, how, how do you? You know, he did it the other night. You weren't there, but we went out to eat, and he did the same thing because we were, we were talking about divine protection. Well, why is it God protects some and then other people? They didn't get the divine approach. So it's it's okay to ask those hard questions because we need to find the answers. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, read books. I want to encourage you to, to read theological books. And I don't mean academic. I understand like that's like a pretty like niche field. But f- find people like your books. You've written theological books, but they're at a lay level. Right. Uh, uh, your book on the Holy Spirit, when the natural meets the supernatural. Your book on grace, uh, and and then there are other books by all kinds of authors out there, which that, are available on Amazon. There's yes, my shameless there plug. Are. There's shameless want, plug. Just, I did it for you. he. This, these are you. not in the notes. He did no. not bring this up. I did it for him. Um, but go go and do that. Find other books that are theologically centered. That they are God centered. Doesn't mean you got to pick up an 800 page tome. Home, pick, pick up a, a just a, a, a book that takes you a little deeper with the Lord and grow in Him. Knowing Him. Exactly. And the more you learn about God, the more He's going to stir your affections for Him. You grow closer to the one that you were made for. So Aquinas talks about how when humans see a solar eclipse, they're not just satisfied going, okay, there is a solar eclipse and that's why it's dark. End of story. Humans are inquisitive. They want to know, why is there a solar eclipse? Why did this happen? What exactly is a solar eclipse? Why is the moon going dark, basically, or the sun or whatever? Well, you know, why are these things happening? Humans are inquisitive people. We're not satisfied just knowing base level information, but we want to get behind it. We want to know it through and through. And the same is true with God that we don't want to just know that God is. We don't want to just know basic levels about God, but we are called to um, search his revealed will or search his revelation and know as much about who God is that we possibly can. The, that's the, built into our nature. Isn't there a verse that says deep calls to deep? Yes. And that's that's what you should happen is get go deep. And then when you go deep in one thing that you learn about God, then go You'll hear a call to go to another deep place. Yeah. Don't don't be afraid to just learn about God. Don't don't be satisfied with just a shallow understanding or relationship with him. And I put this in my note, and I still believe this uh, today. Spends I'm just gonna read it. Spend some time really growing in your faith and watch your world change. Watch your faith grow. Watch you be more in awe of nature. You'll be more thankful for your family. You'll enjoy good laughs with friends more. And here's why all of the good in life will begin to point back to the ultimate good who made them. God just does something to you and in you. That's really, really good. When you develop that relationship with God, like you said, every perfect and good gift comes down from the Father above. Like Instead of looking to the world to satisfy you, when you've got your eyes fixed on the ultimate good, now I can have a proper relationship with the good things of this material world. Then now I don't look to things to be my ultimate end, but I look to them to point back to the ultimate end. And so now I can look at nature and it's not just something else, but like, man, I pull up to, to the church almost every day. And when you can see the Blue Ridge Mountains over there, mm-hmm. I just start going, thank God. 
pray, you know, praise God. Like you made this. Yeah. And there's like a depth to that. Or you leave, you know, that that late night at 1230 and you've been at those good friends' houses for, you know, three hours and laughing and having a wonderful time. You don't just walk away, but you go, praise God for good friends. That Mm -hmm. is priceless. You walk away from time with your family. I mean, the more you look about, the the more you learn about God and who he is and the way he's blessed you and the plan he has for your life, it just begins to permeate your worship at church, your private devotion, your daily life. The more, like you said, you develop that relationship like somebody that you're married to. The deeper that you go, the more you appreciate them, the more grateful you are, the the deeper and more intimate that it is. It's, theology doesn't make you stuffy and cold unless you let it. It should, right. it should make you more worshipful. The more you know about God, the more it should bring you to your knees, just saying, thank you, right. Lord. And that's that's what this will do to you. Yep, depth and maturity. Um, then finally, how does knowing God make us happy? You touched on this earlier. Rectitude of the will. That's how Aquinas put it. Or really an upright heart. Obedience. A transformed nature that lets me obey God. So Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews twelve fourteen, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So if our final goal is to see God and to love him over everything else, right, in the new heavens and new earth, then our final goal is to be in the presence of the perfect goodness and holiness. And if perfect goodness and holiness in glory is our final end, then we can't be happy without holiness. My point is like, if our end goal when Christ comes back is we're going to be made holy and that's what's going to make us happy, then we know holiness equals happiness. Well, we can participate in that holiness and that happiness here on earth. It may not be completed. It may not be absolutely perfect. We might not be in the new heavens and new earth, but we know if that's my end goal, to be perfectly holy, let's start living it now as much as I can and expecting that happiness now. Like I said, one of John Wesley's favorite quotes is, well, not quotes, but favorite kind of phrases is, as Christians, we are called to be holy and happy. And the more I'm like God, the more I serve God, the more my affections are like God, and then my thoughts are like God, and then my words are like God, and then my deeds are like God, then the happier I am in Him. Because that's that's exactly what you're going to be in the future. Let's live that now and enjoy it. Because I've seen people with a fake kind of holiness, the man-made holiness, and they were the most miserable people in the world. bitter. All of it. And then, but we have someone who just has a genuine, authentic faith and relationship with the Lord, just serving Jesus, loving Mm -hmm. Jesus, trying to do what's right. They're some of the happiest people in the world. That's right. I like that. So holiness should lead to happiness. Absolutely. Anything else on that? No, I just think that's a great way to end is that'll be a motivation for all of us to just love Jesus, do what's right, keep sin out, keep Jesus in, and walk with him like Enoch did. And and Absolutely. then and then you'll know joy, not just happiness, but joy. Yeah. Joy that'll last forever. Yeah. Well look, thank y'all so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this. Like, rate, subscribe, all the good things we always ask you to do. And we will see you back in a couple of weeks. Yeah.